0: Welcome back to the Torah S'Chaim podcast. This is our weekly podcast in which we, that is me, Ochanan Cohen, and...
1: Miriam Cohen, also known as Miriam Pascal.
0: Discuss the weekly Parsha, uh, the Parsha portion of the week. Um, Actually, we're going to uh, take a moment in the beginning today to discuss the word Parsha. Mm. Um, And uh, try and apply... This is what we do weekly. We try to apply the things that we are learning to our daily lives as instructions for living. That's what the name Torah Shaim indicates and as well to use our life experience to gain a deeper understanding of what it is that we are learning. So before we get to Parsha's Vayetze in particular, uh, let's talk about the word Parsha. So you may or may not be familiar or be aware that the printing of Chumash, of the Torah, and for that matter of all of Tanakh, um, did not originally from our Torah sources have chapters to it. Okay.
1: I actually was aware of that. Yes.
0: So chapters are actually of Christian origin. So when the first printers were printing the Bible, um, that was actually the first thing printed on the... Gutenberg printing press. When they were printing it, they printed it with chapter and verse in the Christian tradition. And we as Jews, for convenience sake, uh, because it became a little too complicated to come up with an entirely different numbering system, especially because we didn't have our own printing presses. I mean, we were borrowing printing presses to print whatever it was that we were printing. So we adopted the Christian numbering system. Um, This, by the way, explains why oftentimes you will find chapter, beginning, and end seem to totally miss the point. Um, at least from the way that we understand mm-hmm. the text. Uh, and that's because it's not based on our understanding. It's based on a different understanding. Okay. So let's talk about Parsha then. So we we talk about a weekly Parsha. That's usually the nomenclature that's used. Um, the truth is it's a little bit of a misnomer because really it's the weekly Sidra is actually the proper term. So uh, every week we read a Sidra means an order or set of Parshios the word Parsha is actually actually means paragraph and You don't necessarily see this clearly in the if you're using Let's say a a homish or whatever depends on the printing, but actually the Torah is split into paragraphs Um, One of the great things one of the great benefits of reading being a Balchore is you get to graphically see the paragraph divisions um, in the text. Right. And in fact, there are actually two different types of paragraph divisions, right? There's what are known as psuchos and stumos. There are open paragraphs, or in other words, paragraphs where it doesn't begin on a new line, but there's a space, a paragraph indentation, and there are, and, sorry, that would be a stuma, and there are psuchos. There are open paragraphs where it does begin on a new line. And typically when a Parsha begins, the one, now I'm going to use the word Parsha in the way that we usually use it, even though it's kind of a misnomer, but typically when a Parsha like Vayetze or whatever the case may be begins, it will begin with a Psucha, with a new, completely new paragraph.
1: Okay.
0: There is one very notable exception to this. Do you know what it is? Rashi actually comments on it, except that most people don't understand what Rashi's talking about. It's not this week's Parsha. Not this week's Parsha.
1: The ishach?
0: No, Vayichi. Parsha's Vayichi actually has no paragraph break. So if you are a Bar Mitzvah teacher teaching Bar Mitzvah students to read Parsha's Vayichi, one of the things you need to make sure to teach them is no, how not. to find the beginning of their Parsha. Okay. Right? Because um, it's this is uh, you know one of those uh, you know we all have those nightmares right you know for for my mother it's you know waking up she she wakes up on a on a Friday afternoon or an Erev of Yom Tov and there's none of the food has been cooked yet etc cetera, et cetera <laughs> I've right that one too so the Balkore's nightmare is you know he can't find the beginning of where it oh, is Parches. he's supposed he's supposed to be reading Vay-chi. for um, so for example in Parshas VaYikhi. You know, make sure that they know where how to find it, because usually it's pretty easy to find. Just look for the new paragraph, and right. that's where it starts. Parsha Svajeitse does start with a new parsha, a new paragraph, but, and here's where it's different: it is a stuma rather than a psucha. Meaning that the Parsh, the paragraph doesn't begin on a new line. There's just an indentation space in the middle of the line from the end of last week's Parsha to the beginning of this week's Parsha, which is strange.
1: Um, I think it might be like, worth it to describe a little bit, just because I know before I married you that I didn't really understand how the Torah looks. So without, I mean, for uh, women... And maybe men who just haven't spent the majority of their life reading from a Torah. Um, probably most men have have s- at least, you know, when they get an aliyah, they probably know. But maybe um, just briefly explain what what isn't isn't written in a in a proper sefer Torah. Sure,
0: sure. So um, a sefer Torah is written with a very particular script. It's mm-hmm. known as Shuris. It looks. You might be—it it looks a little different than the, you know, typical script that you use in, say, school or whatever. Right. Um, but you probably would recognize it if you saw it. Um, and it's written in the form of columns. So you have basically—you start, let's say, the beginning of the of the Torah, Beratius, right? And you write a certain number of words and begin a new line and write a certain number of words and begin a new line. Until you get down to the bottom of the column, and then you start on the next column from wherever it is you left off on the bottom of the previous column. Uh, The writing in a Sefer Torah uh, actually does not have vowels. Um, So, you know, it's the... You should give credit where credit <laughs> is due to the Balco right?
1: Because... This is the part I didn't know when we got before you showed me. Right.
0: So this is actually a conversation I have, being that I do teach bar mitzvah students. Right. A conversation that I have pretty much with every bar mitzvah student. And that is, first of all, realize... Because oftentimes that, like, overwhelms the bar mitzvah student. They, they say, one, there's no there's no nikudos. And there's, there's also no vowelization. No
1: punctuation, which...
0: There's no vowelization. How am I supposed to, you know, right. read it? Well, the, first of all, I can send you a text without any vowels, and you'll be able to read it. Right,
1: right. right?
0: We do it all the time, right? Um, so, so long as you're relatively familiar with what is trying to be said, you can generally figure it out. Right. Number one. Number two... Um. Yeah, that's part of what laning is. Is you learn to, you know, know what the vowels are, and right. you'll figure it out. You know, that's usually what I'll tell the the bar mitzvah student. The other thing, which you were about to note before, is there is no punctuation in right. a Torah scroll, right? No periods, uh, no commas, etc. In fact, the punctuation, as we have it, is based off of what we call the trope. Or the, to use the Svarty term, the ta'amim, right? The flavors? No. Well, it does have that meaning as well, but, um, and that's in part because it gives flavor to the reading. Mm -hmm. Um, But the ta'amim or the trope is the cantillation that the person reading from the Torah uses, one of which is called a sof pasuk, which literally translates to Mm -hmm. end of verse. Right. Um, and that's how we know where things are. And in fact, there are certain cancellation marks that are the equivalent of a semicolon, some that are the equivalent of a comma, but not, not. I don't want to get too bogged down in right, that. Right,
1: right. You're not teaching our audience how to lean.
0: <laughs> no. Um, and. That's a whole another discussion about teaching people how to lane <laughs> aside from the technical elements of it You also have to get into the musical elements of it and that we're for sure not
1: Yeah, going well, to you, you don't want to try to teach me anything musical <laughs> um,
0: Anywho, so that's what it looks like in a Torah scroll um, Incidentally uh, This is worth pointing out To me, this is a tremendous Indicator of the power of the Masorah, of the tradition that we have for the Torah Shbalpeh for the Oral Law. Because this means that for generations, they the way that Torah was transmitted, the written Torah was transmitted in the form of a scroll. It didn't have vowels on it. Which means there has to have been some sort of a tradition that came along with it as to how to read the words, right. where the punctuation is, there are many a
1: words difference. that you can
0: read more than one way. And in fact, and sometimes have- the Medrash right, is using that, right. using the fact that in the Torah there are no vowels and therefore you could read a word a different way. And sometimes the Medrash will do that
1: and we'll learn to, something out And
0: it. to learn something different from, from that particular right. word. Back, returning to Parsha's Vayente. So Parsha's Vayente starts with what we call a stuma. It's not a new paragraph in the sense of new line, but only an indented paragraph in the middle of of the line. And also, and here is where it gets really challenging for Bermitza students, Um, I have had two, I believe, Bermitza students who have to read Parsha Svaiyete. There are no paragraph breaks within the Parsha. The
1: whole Parsha is one long paragraph? The whole
0: Parsha is one long paragraph.
1: Oh, I have a headache just imagining
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and wow. and so, again, it's a challenge for the person reading from the Torah to know where exactly one particular aliyah and I was going to say, you also have to and, remember and where begins. the aliyahs are. Right. So, uh, similarly to parshas, right, aliyahs typically begin or end at a new paragraph. paragraph. Not always, but typically. Um, but yes, in parshas Vayentza, you don't have that. And I want to discuss that just a little bit, because I think it's critical, it's not happenstance that the Torah is written in this way. The Torah does play tricks for lack of a better term using visuals. Um, for example, the torah will will make a paragraph break in the middle of a sentence to indicate kind of like a a sudden pause, right or a breaking like from, for dramatic effect. for dramatic effect. exactly. Wow. Um, so and, and it's deliberate, I believe. Um, that the to- that the parsha is this way i have not seen this source i'm i'm sure it's sourced somewhere i'm just not very well versed but i haven't seen this in any sources but this is how i understand um what is going on over here parsha Svayente actually begins kind of a series of parshios a series of weekly parshios which you might describe as the galos partios, the exiled partios. There's an idea which we actually didn't really talk about so much, but we really could have talked about far earlier. There's a concept called ma'ase avos What happened to our forefathers we see as an indicator or a portent for what will happen to us, right? And the... Of the forefather, so to speak, who really experienced the concept of Gullus, of exile, Yaakov. is Yaakov. Sure, Avraham did kind of go down to Egypt for a temporary period. And in fact, the Ramban, Nachmanides, understands that that is sort of a portent for what would happen with the Jewish people going down to Egypt. Okay. But in terms of the exile as we find ourselves in it today, which is completely different from any exile in history. And, and you have to, this is really important to understand, right? Mm-hmm. Every exile that we have been, had been in as a people before the current exile. So whether we're talking about going down to Egypt, the truth is, there. Uh, whether we're talking about wandering for 40 years in the desert,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether we're talking about the 70-year exile, the Babylonian exile after the destruction of the first temple, before the construction of the second temple, all of those were given very definite Timeframes. Right. Um, in fact, um, I was just reading the Rambam's letter. Um, yeah. And he notes, he says, even with regard to those, they made mistakes as to when they were going to end, even though they had a very specific definition of the time frame. So, for example, he's, he mentions with regard to Egypt, well, maybe we'll we'll see this, but we're told that Avraham is told it's going to be 400 years, right? Right. But when do you start counting that 400 years? Right. And he actually understands that the story about, there's a story about the children of Ephraim having left early and getting killed out, which maybe we'll get a chance to discuss when we get there, when we get to uh, Parshas Beshalach. But he understands that they basically miscalculated based on that 400 years and they were 30 years short because it was 30 years prior to the birth of Yitzchak. I that Abraham say that was told that. If
1: I remember correctly, the calculations, the 400 years started with the birth of Yitzchak, right? Correct. Because I, I know that we left, we left Egypt in 2448. Correct. And Yitzchak was born in 2048. Correct. Are you impressed? Very
0: impressed. All right. Um, uh, speaking of mnemonics, 2448, right? That's a very easy one to remember, right? Yeah. Two times four is... Eight. okay
1: are you thinking about the combination
0: yes eight? that's exactly what i'm thinking about right now Anyhow.
1: which is not two four four. so for yaakov, to clarify for
0: yaakov um is really the the uh oh sorry so i was talking about the difference between previous exiles and this exile. Right. this exile sure in safer daniel there is a very cryptic passage which many Rishonim him try and and give different calculations none of which as of yet have come true um Uh, or I shouldn't say as of yet, many of them were in the past and they didn't come true. Mm. Um, And and that's not really our discussion for right now. um, How it could be that there were these predictions that didn't come true. Basically um, to give a simple answer to that question, there are times that are misugal that are appropriate or that are designated as possible times when, when, the exile could end that's, depending on how we that's react. That's what we talked about now that.
1: with the discussion of sure and and whether or not we're in Melchametz Gogumago. Right,
0: and and I'm not so into the the predicting Mashiach is coming now type of thing um, because as Rambam also mentions in that letter, uh, the quote from Chazal, our sages tell us that shall people who calculate when Messiah is coming. They should die, basically, um, because they give people false hope. And then when it doesn't happen, people feel they like lose dead. they lose hope. Um, OK, not not our discussion so much for right now, but be that as it may, Yaakov, our current exile is timeless, it timeless in the sense in the sense of there was no there's no clear end to it. Right. And Yaakov is really the Av, the, the forefather, who personifies this idea of the Jew going into galus, right? Um, though, incidentally, I should mention, Avraham is the first wandering Jew. So the concept of the wandering Jew really, really precedes Yaakov. Right. But Yaakov is kind of the one who teaches us how to behave as a Jew in exile, not in our proper place. The thing about Galos, the thing about exile, is it's dark. It is. It's difficult. And that is indicated in the kind of, in the closing or closedness of the Parsha. Mm -hmm. There's this sense of darkness, of lack of clarity, like trying to figure out where things begin and where things end, so to speak, right? And that is indicated graphically in the nature of this week's Parsha and is happening outside. It's not accidental that the Partios that we read this time of year, i.e. winter, and of course, Hanukkah is very much a part of that, right? Winter is the time when the world starts to die, right? And Maral points this out, you know, he points out that it's, we as, you can look at this any number of ways, but we as Jews are very connected To the time of year time of year as in the seasons right Mm -hmm. so Pesach is a time of new beginnings is springtime right right Um, Sukkot is a time of endings it's fall time right Chanukah is this whole idea of a light in the darkness of course Chanukah is going to be in the heart of winter right right and these Torah portions are always read in the heart of winter or I shouldn't say in the heart of winter, when winter begins through the heart of winter, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's appropriate and it's deliberate because it reminds us of dealing with life during the dark times, you know. And it, the truth is, it's really fascinating and it's something that <laughs> it's interesting, kind of being being an Angelino and not really having experienced <laughs> um, significant four seasons. And then living here and and really experiencing it. But we, in our modern kind of uh, lifestyle, don't necessarily pay attention to the same degree that people used to, to the seasons.
1: Right. Like we get our produce all year round for the most part.
0: Right. Um, You know, and we complain about daylight savings time. Right. Um, Or don't complain about daylight savings time. Right. (laughs) Um, But, you know... It doesn't really, I mean, because of artificial lighting, nighttime is not as inactive as it used to be. Right. Right. It used to be once, you know, once the sun had set and night was here, there was nothing going on outside. Right. And even inside. Right. You were lucky if you had a candle to burn to be able to, you know, to read something. Right. Um, You know, I, I remember having this discussion with Rabbi first. Right. Where we were talking about, you know, the whole idea of Davening Mariv late, you know, mm-hmm. in its proper time. We are so spoiled because we have artificial lighting. I can go Daven Mariv at 930 p.m., which is after the time that the sun has set. Right. And, and the stars have come out. And therefore, I don't have to repeat the Shema, for example. Right. right? Whereas it used to be that concept was crazy. You would daven mincha, you would daven Mar very quickly, and you did not want to get left alone, because after that, everybody was going, it was pitch black, and everybody was going home as quickly as possible, right? Wow, I never
1: thought Um, of
0: that. Yeah, these are, you know, to us, it seems like strange concepts, but these were very, very real concepts, very, very significant realities to people, you know, so, you know, maybe we worry about our car getting snowed in. You know, right? Um, but you know, uh, this sense, w- unless you have SAD, seasonal affect disorder, <laughs> right? Which, by the way, is yeah. a reality as well. How does h- how does the body know what season it is? In order for someone who has SAD to you know to to experience that, because our bodies are finely tuned to what's going on in in the in the right. world, and Right. For example, when the sun is out, right? When the sun sets, our bodies know to start producing melatonin. Oh, really? Yeah, our bodies start producing melatonin, which is, you know, part of what teaches us to go to sleep. And when the light comes up, our bodies start producing cortisol. Right. Right? To wake us up. Right? And this is just naturally the way our bodies work. We kind of fight against that nature a little bit right right um no i mean that's just the reality of the world that we live in right Right? there are people who work night shifts um
1: people just don't and work. in fact
0: we'll see that um yakov actually worked night shifts um we'll have to kind of see it in the text but and, and i believe it's it's deliberate that he specifically worked night shifts because yakov and let's get back to what we were talking about Yaakov is the person who personifies the ability to work through the dark times. And that, I think, is very much the lesson of this week's portion. So let's take a look. Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'er We're told that Yaakov leaves Be'er Vayelech And he went to Charan. Last week's Torah portion ended, just to get ourselves in context, with Yaakov had stolen the blessings, the brachos. Yitzchak had given him the bracha of Avraham and sent him away. He told him to go to his Uncle Lavan's house because his brother, Asaph, was furious, right? And then the Torah kind of interrupted a little bit with mentioning Asaph's having gone and gotten some new wives because, you know, after all, uh, if Yaakov's going to go somewhere else to get new wives, then he's got to, you know, go get new wives. Competition much? Right. Um, And then we return to the story. So, Vayetze Yaakov Mi Be'er Yaakov left Beresheva. Now, why is it necessary to say that? It actually already said in the previous parsha. Yaakov um, <laughs> el imo. Yaakov listened to what his mother and father were telling him. <laughs> and he went to Padana aram. Right. So, why does it have to say Yaakov Because
1: he sees min hamakom
0: Okay, so before we get to that, <laughs> excellent. Um, the first thing is because we interrupted with talking about AsASof, right? Um, so we just have to kind of reset the context. Yeah. Um, but again, it could have just said Yaakov went to Haran. Why does it have to say Yaakov left Beher Sheva? And so therefore our sages teach us that Yitzya Sadik Minamako Rosha, right?
1: Just want to give a shout out to my mother, who's probably thinking, "Oh wow, I paid tuition for something after all."
0: <laughs> so, what? Let, let's talk about what that means, right? Because you know, it's something that perhaps we learned in school, and we might have a very childish understanding, understanding of it. Right. So, the idea is the following: that when itzadik is somewhere, the way that that Rashi, quoting the Midrash, puts it, "Who ziva, who hodah, hadara?" He is the shine of the place. Right. And when he leaves, that shine is gone. All of us as adults have experienced being around someone who really brings the energy up. Right. Right. And then they leave and the energy comes down. Right. Right. So uh, that's what we're talking about. When a tzaddik is around, he is the life of the city. That's what it means. It doesn't. It's, we're not talking about some sort of mystical shine, you know, that's happening in the city. We mean he is the life of the city, and when he leaves, it's almost like the lights go out, right? Everything becomes kind of dark, right? right? And so we're. It's important to note that Yaakov left Beer Sheva. Now, why he was in Beer Sheva is actually quite interesting. Um, I just saw last night Ravina B'chai actually says that. Um, they weren't living in 'er Beersheba. They were living in Hebron, according to him. And Yaakov went to 'er Beersheba, which incidentally, if you know the geography of Israel, 'er Beersheba is south, southwest of Hebron. And Yaakov is going to be headed east. So he was actually going in the wrong direction. Why would he go to 'er Beersheba? Because who else went to Be'er Sheva right before he left Israel or tried to leave Israel? Yitzchak. Yitzchak went down to Be'er Sheva and then Hashem told him, don't leave.
1: Right.
0: So, of course, Yaakov, in repeating that, goes down to Be'er Sheva to hear the message. And he does it, by the way, again, later in life when he's going down to Egypt, he goes to Be'er Sheva as well. Mm-hmm. Be'er Sheva seems to be the place in which you find out, you know.
1: What God wants from you. What
0: God, whether he wants you to, to go elsewhere or not. So he goes to Beersheba he, he was in Beersheba and he got the message, it's time to go. And so he went to Chara. The problem is that we begin the very next verse, Vayifka Bamakom. And he encountered the place, that would be perhaps the best translation of the word Vayifka. Okay. And without getting into detail, it's not Chara, he's not there yet. I thought we just said he went to Charan. So there's two approaches that are taken here. The simple approach, Rashi and other of the Mafoshe shot, which I like to begin with, kind of the more simple, right. is well, obviously we're we're saying he went to Charan. That didn't mean he get he got there, right? He went to go to Charan, and now we're going to tell you the story of that journey. Right. However, Rashi actually understands that he made it all the way to Charan, and he came back. Because he realized he missed somewhere. He, fe- he felt that he had missed the opportunity to pray in a place where his forefathers had. And so he went back. Right? And I just want you to appreciate what that, what that means. Aside from the question of what's known as kvita sadarach, that, you know, jumping, being able to travel extreme distances in very small amounts of time. Right. But leaving that aside, let's just say it was all in a day's time. which you cannot get from Israel to essentially Iraq in a day's time. doesn't work.
1: Where's Haran?
0: Haran is Mesopotamia.
1: Which is modern day Iraq. Yeah.
0: Okay. Right.
1: Not on foot anyway.
0: Not on foot and not by camel either. (laughs) Right. You can't make that journey in a day's time. Right? Right. And Yaakov makes the entire journey and then realizes, Hey, You know what? I think I missed something. And he comes back. Right? So, just consider that. Right? Not only that, but the way that Rashi actually understands the concept of kvitzah saderach, of jumping, literally jumping, jumping roads, is that when he decided... What? The night bus? (laughs) When he decided to come back, Mm -hmm. it's uh, lahavdil, right? If you can't Bring Mohammed to the mountain, then bring the mountain to Mohammed. Right. So, um, basically, Hashem brought Har HaMariyah, the future site of the Beit amikdash to him where he was. Right, and he actually—that's how Rashi understands this whole story.
1: So right? he was in kharam but Hashem brought the mountain.
0: He started back, but Hashem brought the mountain to where he was. Right. Uh, others, like the Ramban and other Rishonim, understand that no, uh, that's that's not what happened. He was actually, at this point of his journey, only part of the way through Israel. Right? He had just reached either Hebron or he had reached Haramoria, and, um, and he has this dream. How do we know that this dream is taking place in that spot? Bamako? What does that tell you?
1: This is a guess. I don't remember Mm -hmm. learning it, but like, it's kind of like a proper noun, like the place as opposed to just a place.
0: Okay. So it's very important when we're reading the text to pay attention to small details like that. It says he encountered the place, not a place, but the place. Where else do we find a place mentioned in the Torah? Well, up until this point, the only place that is mentioned in the Torah is Vayar es me rachok. Abraham saw the place where Yitzchak was okay. supposed to be offered from a distance, right? And so it must be talking about that it's same, same makom, right? So he encountered that place Vayalansham, right? Which, according to Rashi, the word va'yifka makes a lot of sense, right? Meaning there's a sense of suddenness to the word va'yifka, right? All of a sudden he was there. Right? Well, according to Rashi, it makes sense, because it jumped to him. Right. According to others, it just means he ended up seemingly randomly in that particular place, and he spent the night there, Kiva because the sun had set. That's a very funny way of saying things, right? What should it say? The sun set, and he spent the night there. And so therefore, our sages understand that actually the sun set early, right? He did not intend to spend the night there. By he ended up spending the night there because Kiva Hashemesh, because all of a sudden the sun had set, mm-hmm. right? Which Chazal explained, our sages explain, is because Hashem wanted him to specifically to sleep there. Vayikach Hamakom, he took some of the stones of that place. And he put them around his head as a form of protection. Um, I'm not sure why Rashi finds this uh, necessary to stress, but Rashi goes into this whole description of how he put them around his head like a half pipe, you know, um, so that he was surrounded on all sides. And Vayishkav Bamako Mahu, and he slept in that place. I could have just said, and he slept. Why right. That tells us, Rashi, quoting the Medrash again, that tells us that up until that point, he hadn't slept. Really? Yaakov never slept? Well, yeah. Because Yaakov, oh. between last week's Torah portion and this week's Torah portion, He's
1: running for his life.
0: Well, actually, he was hiding in the base Medrash of Shem and Aver, according to our sages. Right? He was studying in the base Medrash of Shem and Aver, Right? And, the, and during the time that he spent studying 14 years in the base medrash of Shem Ever, now, here's what, what Rashi says, and I want to make note of it because this is what I was talking about before. Avul Yud Shanim, the 14 years, Shashimesh Beves Ever, that he was there in the base medrash of Ever, lo shachav balayla. He didn't sleep, doesn't say he didn't sleep.
1: He didn't sleep at night. At
0: night. Right? Now, so many ask laps? the question, oh, okay. How? It's not possible. We know. It's not possible for a human being to survive longer than 72 hours without sleep.
1: I have a very tangential question that I don't know if I should ask now. Because we're going to like, <laughs> okay, maybe you'll tell me if it's not a question okay. for now. And you'll just have to tell me privately. Um. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Avraham was then the original monotheist and, mm-hmm. and he was the first Jew and all that. How does Shame and Eva fit into this? Because they're older than Avraham. If
0: they had to base Medrash, what was their role in all of this? So we did actually discuss that a little bit. Avraham was the first person who discovered God on his own.
1: Oh, but they were Neviim, so they, just they had, had it a, tra- a tradition.
0: A- they had it from Noah, who had it from Adah. So why didn't Avram have that tradition? It got lost in between? He wasn't living with, right? He wasn't living with them.
1: Uh-huh.
0: He later okay. met them, right? Um, I do want to point out, though, that whatever it is that they were learning in that base madrash, it seems to be uniquely oriented towards life in Gullus. And my proof to this is that the one who ya- Yaakov teaches this Torah to, is Yosef. Yosef, who ends up going into Galas, right? So it seems that Yaakov was specifically preparing himself for Galas. And that's why I believe when it says, Lo shechav balayla, He didn't sleep at night. Many are bothered. How how could he survive? So some answer, like you were saying before, he just catnapped, but he never actually yeah. went to sleep.
1: Wasn't it? Was it? I'm getting it, no.
0: They say I'm about finished? the Vilna Gon that he never went to sleep. Um, I heard from Rabbi Noah Weinberg, he said about his father, who, by the way, was no Rosh Hashiva or anything. He was, as Rabbi Noach put it, a simple Jew. Right? <laughs> he said about his father, he never saw him go to sleep during the week, only on Shabbos. He would mm-hmm. fall asleep on his tender and, and wake up, you know, shortly, mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, however many hours later. Um, so... So, some want to suggest that it just means he didn't go to sleep, but he, he of course, slept. Um, I believe that what Rashi is saying is he didn't sleep at night. He would do the night shift. Oh. Now, why is that important? Because what is he trying to do? He's preparing for going into gullus. Which and is gullus night. is nighttime. right? He's preparing to go into the difficult and dark times. And how does he do that? he has a dream. Not Martin Luther. This is Yaakov. Vihine Sulam Behold, there is a ladder that is firmly planted in the ground. And the top of that ladder reaches heaven. Vihine Elohim. And behold, there are angels of God, Olim bo, that are going up and going down on this ladder. Which do angels do first? Go up or go down?
1: Go down, I guess.
0: You would have assumed. So why are they going up and going down? Well, guess is bothered by that question. Rashi? Our favorite. Rashi is bothered by that question. And Rashi gives a very strange answer. uh, Also, based on the Midrash. Rashi says... that the angels that he is, see- uh, is seeing are actually the angels of there's two different camps of angels which he encounters later on on his return there's the camp of angels inside the land of Israel and there's the camp of angels outside the land of Israel I, I this. right now he's going out right so first the angels from inside have to leave right and mm-hmm. only then can the angels from outside come down Right? Now, first of all, why? Because they were there to... Let me ask you a question, right? When the queen's guard, right, at at, at Buckingham Palace, when there's a changing of the guard, what happens first? The old guard leaves or the new guard comes?
1: I'm going to assume that the new guard comes.
0: Usually the new guard comes first and then the old guard leaves. Otherwise, you're left for a period of time without cover. And in fact, some understand that that's why in the very next verse, Hashem Hashem is standing over him because he has to protect him. Because there's this gap in coverage, so to speak. (laughs) Right? But why? Why do the angels of Israel first leave and then those from outside of Israel come down? I don't know. I don't know either. I was very bothered by this, and I don't have a good answer for that question. Right? But whatever the reason is, that's what he sees. And sure enough, behold, Hashem is standing over him, and Hashem makes him a promise. I'm going to jump ahead a couple of verses, because there's a really important um, statement that Yaakov makes later on that I want to make note of. And that is, Yaakov wakes up from this dream. And he says, He says, That God is here in this place. And I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so Rashi makes a comment. If I would have known, I would not have gone to sleep. Right. Right. Which seems like a very strange comment. Because if you think about it, Yaakov has this wonderful revelation in his dream. If he hadn't gone to sleep, he wouldn't have had the revelation. Right? So why is Yaakov saying, well, had I known how great this place was, I wouldn't have gone to sleep. But then you wouldn't have had the revelation. So the Nitziv has a very interesting comment that I think is very important. And will kind of close with this idea. The Nitziv says what Yaakov was saying is, I would have preferred to experience this awake rather than asleep. Meaning, we can experience life in one of two different ways. We can either walk through life sleepwalking. We'll still have the same experiences, but we'll be sleepwalking through it. Or we can be awake and experience it with full conscious awareness. Wow. And one of the things that is so important in as much as we say when we're re- going to return, right, we say this in Shir Hamalos, Hayinu right? when we return from exile, we'll be like we were dreaming. It will be like a dream. But it's our job to stay as awake as possible and to experience even the difficulties with a full conscious awareness. Wow. And so that's the message that Yaakov leaves us with and which we'll end with this week. Yaakov is the one who teaches us how to survive in exile, right? Number one, prepare yourself. Spend some time getting ready. Know how to approach problems, right, before they come, right? And that's why Yaakov has to spend 14 years mm-hmm. in the yeshiva of Shem and Ever, specifically designed to prepare him for Gallus. And we should know that we, as a people, have inherited that preparation, right? Because that's what it means, part of what it means, what happened to the forefathers is portent for us, means that they paved the path, they paved the way, which means that his preparation must be our preparation. Mm -hmm. But number two, right, is as much as you want to shut off, because that is what we want to do at night, Right. We want to go to sleep. We want to turn off, right? And and we're if you think about it,
1: shut our brain down.
0: Exactly. This is really the challenge of of our lifetime, right? There are so many different ways that we now can turn our brains off, right? Which never used to be a challenge in this way. Used to be that people turned their brains off because they were so busy, right? And now we turns our turn our brains off because we're not busy enough, <clears throat> right? They were too. Used to be that. As or Moshe Chaim Lutzato points out, it was like what Paro said, right? Just make the work heavier and heavier and heavier and no one will have time to think about anything, right? right? Now we're living in the opposite, where we have all the time in the world, right? And we try and kill it, right? And that was one thing that was a terrible, terrible thing to say growing up for me. Killing time was never a good thing to say because Rabbi Noah Weinberg used to say, killing time is suicide on the installment plan. Right?
1: Wow, that's powerful.
0: We're only given a certain amount of time in life. Right. And to kill that time is to shorten our life. Right. Not necessarily in the immediate sense of, you know. Suicide as we're used to thinking of it, right? But it's getting rid of our life, right? And, Uh. but it's there's this draw to shut out, to turn off, right? right? To zombify, as he (laughs) used to put it, right? And our job is to be aware of the great opportunities that we find ourselves in, Manorah how amazing is this opportunity,
1: wow. as
0: Yaakov says later on, right? And if I would know and be aware of the amazing opportunity that I'm presented with, ilo yadati lo yashanti, if I would have known, I wouldn't have gone to sleep. I would have stayed awake wow. and been aware of what's going on, right? And that's the other message that Yaakov leaves us with in terms of, of Galos, is as dark and as difficult as things feel, and that you have that kind of need to shut down and block everything out, don't do it because you're living through the greatest time of your life. Wow.
1: Wow.